0: Welcome to Ground Truth, a Phantom Auto podcast.
1: Hey everyone, this is Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Ground Truth, a Phantom Auto podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, and thank you again for joining us on Phantom Auto's podcast. We appreciate you joining us for some broader industry thought leadership. As we maneuver today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, phantomauto.com. Again, phantomauto.com. For more information on our solutions and services and for some more Phantom Auto content, including podcasts, videos, and more. Also make sure you're subscribing to Ground Truth on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So today, we're going to be discussing some supply chain challenges. The supply chain is facing a number of compounding issues today that were very difficult to predict a year and a half ago. I think that has become just sort of a common truth. And on today's episode of the podcast, we're digging into both the short-term and the long-term effects of COVID on the broader supply chain, figuring out just how the industry should prepare for the continuously growing pressures of consumer demands, for example, and how we should navigate the adoption of autonomous technology across the supply chain to help fill these gaps. So we're going to be uh, doing a lot of technology-related conversation today with our guest. And for insights, we're joined by Evan Rago. He's Strategic Sales Manager at Phantom Auto. He's been in the industry for 10-plus years and ready to give us some perspective. Evan Rago, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Real pleasure getting to source your insights today. So again, you've been in the industry 10 plus years, so you know the supply chain pretty well, and the fact that even without COVID, uh, it can face a lot of unpredictable disruptions. So with all of that as context, would you say that the supply chain now post-COVID is better off than it was a year ago? Did we learn any invaluable lessons that actually give the supply chain more to work with? Are there any positives you think we can take away?
0: Yeah, Daniel, that is a, a really great question. Thank you for asking that. Um so the supply chain as it as it uh stands today, it's in a better position uh than it was uh pre-COVID, but it's not, you know, uh exactly where it needs to be. So it's slightly improved, uh, but there's always been problems and there's always been inefficiencies. Um, but COVID really highlighted those uh, problems and and those inefficiencies, and it was uh, you know it really served as kind of a wake up call um, that uh, these companies uh, that that you know I'm working with in, in warehousing and manufacturing um, they know now that they need to uh, adopt technologies um, and and become more flexible, become more agile, and address these um, address these inefficiencies. So that being said, I think that uh you know it it is it is slightly better positioned or in a better position, but it's 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 better positioned uh to to uh improve and get where it needs to be.
1: Yeah, I I'd phrase it um you know I guess just in like common terms as like constructive criticism for the supply chain, a year of constructive criticism, which again, you know, is constructive uh, like you said, positions the industry well to adapt to these changes better in the future. But yeah, to your point, I still think is facing a lot of uh, short-term recovery as well as long-term adjustment to, well, what do we do with these truths that we've learned, these deficiencies in the supply chain that we've identified because of the last uh, year of a global pandemic, What do we do now, right? And I think that's where the industry is at. So there's potential for optimism, but obviously needs to be executed correctly. So that's also what we're going to be discussing today. You mentioned it yourself. COVID did reveal a lot of existing deficiencies in the supply chain. Didn't just introduce... New problems, but accelerated existing ones. So, I'm curious where along the supply chain you see the most need for these kinds of uh, efficiency improvements. Where are those touch points, and why do you see these as the main ones to improve?
0: Yeah, so I would say um, right off the bat, labor. Labor is a, uh, a, a very big issue. Um, you know, in, in manufacturing, warehousing. Um, you know, folks uh, can't find labor. They can't retain labor. Uh, labor's too expensive. Um, so there's there's a lot of inefficiencies uh, as it as it poses for labor, and tons of companies are are you know looking into automation uh, to to solve these labor issues. Unfortunately, there's inefficiencies um, with the autonomous solutions that are out there as well. Um, so it's not always a uh, a seamless adoption uh, for these autonomous technologies. Um, so when I, I think about the inefficiencies in the supply chain, um, you know currently, I would uh, put them into three buckets really. Uh, the first bucket being labor. The second bucket being uh, the technology uh, adoption process, I believe, is very inefficient, um, as well as operational inefficiencies. So, just whatever whatever operational wastes, um, whether that's you know picking wrong pallets, uh, taking them to the wrong uh, locations, mispicks, errors, um, you know, and, and folks are starting to rethink their strategies now too. Um, like in manufacturing, it's just-in-time the right uh, you know the the, the right methodology? Um, you know, does it make more sense to have excessive inventory? And so it's, it's really, you know, there's, you know, keep going back to COVID, uh, it's really made a lot of folks rethink how they're operating, um, made them rethink, you know, what, how do we become more flexible and agile and what does flexibility and agility even mean, um, you know, for, for the future, uh, that being said um you know the 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 labor inefficiencies are are probably probably stand out as the uh the the most glaring one because that's what's driving the technology adoption uh for automation um and and then you know the the operational
1: inefficiencies that have always been there and what i want to do now is kind of bounce around those three buckets that you laid out for us again operational deficiencies Um, issues with adopting technology correctly and maximizing that technology, and then maneuvering a variety of different labor challenges for uh, day-to-day operations as well. So let's start with just uh, the operational challenges, the ones that you say uh, have kind of always been there, and I'm also going to intersect some of the ways COVID accelerated those challenges. One of those big ones, I'd say, is consumer demand, which because of the pandemic was sort of all at once refocused through very specific channels. Um, You know, an omni-channel sales approach has now developed from this, but mostly uh, people were buying their basic goods through e-commerce channels, and that pushed um, a lot of companies to have to refocus how they intake these orders, Uh, and it doesn't seem like this consumer demand is going to be slowing down anytime soon. So how are you seeing this place pressure on the supply chain, uh, is this something that the industry is still having to adapt to, or is this one of the easier challenges to adjust to? What are you seeing? No, this is this is um, you know th- this creates uh, uh, quite an
0: issue in the supply chain because the consumer expect um, you know uh, at the same costs and uh, you know just as quickly as they did before COVID and uh, to couple that there's also uh you know some trade war uh things going on with with China that's uh, creating even further uh stress on on the supply chain um so that you know that being said it's uh it's 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 not going to slow down um it, it's not going anywhere unfortunately though a lot of these companies are are having a a tough time uh you know finding labor to being able to support um you know these operations it's really crazy right now uh, to be, uh, you know, uh, an operations manager or to be a, uh, you know, uh, uh, can, can in control of those types of, uh, you know, um, those types of activities in, in warehousing manufacturing. So, you know, it's, it's really going to be the technologies that these folks uh, adopt um, that is going to determine their outcomes of tomorrow. And so what we're seeing is uh, to, to address labor. A lot of folks are, are turning to uh, autonomous systems uh, and automation, um, which is, is great. Um, there's, uh, you know, AMRs and AGVs, but all, the, you know, all of that is basically just autonomous material handling. Um, and they're great for doing point A to point B uh, activities. But unfortunately, uh, the perception and, um, in, in, um, you know, the customer's perception is actually, uh, much greater uh, of what they can do and, and kind of how they're sold, and so they have this vision of uh, you know automating every part move um, in their facility. But really, you need uh, a, a uh, somebody watching these vehicles, right? And somebody who is constantly monitoring these vehicles. Um, so the uh, the 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 idea there is that you have a fleet of. Uh, you know all these autonomous systems moving around and then you have a couple of guys on site who are constantly going out and uh you know uh, intervening when human intervention is required whether that's a loss of localization um whether that's uh you know it, it sees some the lidar sees something that it, it's getting confused um so then they realize wow these these systems can't handle um you know what what we thought they could but now we have a team uh that we hired that is following the agvs the amrs automation around um and and so really you know what's what's cool about phantom's uh technology is that we provide the ability for folks to uh telemonitor uh, assist and control um any type of unmanned vehicle and so really it, you know, how this ties in is, you know, if you have you need a, a teleoperations uh, strategy, if you're going to have an automation strategy. And a lot of folks figure that out on the, on the uh, back end the wrong way, right? Um, they go to automation, they see, hey, you know, it, it, it's not performing as it was sold, uh, or there's these issues. And then they say, and then they think about, you know, adopting the teleoperation strategy. Um, but really, you know, adopting the teleoperation strategy, or remote control of forklifts on the
1: front end, um, is 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 what we 're seeing is is the most efficient practice another point that I want to intersect before um we delve a little deeper into integrating teller operations uh you know with intention and uh you know to maximize the technology as well as before we chat more about those labor challenges you 've been describing uh, I think this broader conversation of introducing uh, autonomous technology, especially something like teleoperation, also plays into some of the health and safety measures that had to be implemented because of COVID. And now we're sort of in a limbo of what do we do with the future of these, uh, you know, adaptive operations? Do they continue or do they not? So I'm curious if you see COVID measures for the warehouse floor like distancing protocols or general sanitation practices carrying over long-term for the industry? Do you think they're going to adapt to some kind of hybrid version? What do you think? And, uh, you know, why do you land there? Yeah. So I think um, whatever is, is most efficient is, is typically what's
0: going to win out. Um, There's, you know, a lot of organizations put, process, uh, you know, standard operating procedures in place, um, but whatever's the most efficient on the floor uh, in the day-to-day operations is, is what's going to prevail. And so, you know, I, I don't, I really don't see, uh, the, you know, some of the, the distancing um, and, and certain precautions that are being taken now carrying over. I don't, but I do see companies. Preparing for the next uh, pandemic or uh, you know putting plans in place to become more flexible and, and agile and so a lot of companies are are turning to uh automation and they're turning to different technologies innovative technologies um, so it's, it's 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 interesting because you know we're we're in the fourth significant shift in in modern industry. And so there's a whole bunch of you know there's nine pillars to to uh industry 4.0 and you know remote control or teleoperation uh isn't e- exactly uh mentioned in any of those, but it ties into all uh nine of them and so really, you know starting with kind of that that teleoperation strategy is is it's it's really groundbreaking um like whenever we talk about agility and, and flexibility, imagine if you could apply labor with the click of a button, when and where it is needed. So our cust, or you know, the the end users, people who are getting, um, people who are getting uh, the the products are clicking a button and expecting it at the door. Now, what if uh, in operations, somebody can click a button and deploy labor at any one of its facilities at any time. So there's a high demand in Washington. You have three uh, people on forklifts there. Um, you know, that, that you just teleported in to help out. And then you have something going on in Alabama. Those same workers can now teleport to that facility in Alabama, uh, you know, all on the same shift. So, you know, being able to apply that labor when and where it is needed directly aligns with the agility and flexibility of, uh, you know, what, what our, you know, what our customers need.
1: Yeah, no, thank, thank you for all that context. And that leads me right into my next question, which, uh, you know, first I want to give some research to our audience here. There's some research from Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute that came out relatively recently that's now showing as many as 2.1 million manufacturing jobs could go unfilled through 2030. So that's a bit of a long projection there, but still... Through 2030, it could end up costing the U.S. economy $1 trillion, uh, which is not an insignificant amount of money. So I'm curious how you see this workforce gap shaping some of the different B2B relationships across the supply chain. Uh, Obviously, this impacts manufacturing operations, but how is this impacting the broader supply chain? What kind of domino effects is this uh, potential long-term gap creating?
0: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about domino effects, it it ultimately is going to affect the end uh, customer, and and that's going to affect them in their lead times, uh, the time it takes for them to get, uh, you know, what they want. It's going to affect their uh, pocketbooks as well, and so really, you know, whenever the 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 biggest gap is, uh, you know, right now is like like you mentioned, labor, right? Uh, people can't find uh, people to fill these positions. Um, whether that's, uh, you know, driving in a warehouse or driving in a manufacturing plant. And so whenever you can't find, uh, you know, labor, it's it, you, your throughput, uh, decreases, um, your operation slows down, you become less efficient and, uh, you know, you have to raise costs. Um, so ultimately it's going to be a cost raise and it's going to, uh, create longer, uh, you know, longer lead times. Um, so in, in, in today's, uh, you know
1: consumer driven uh consumer driven market that's not uh, really not feasible and then do you have any insights for us on why we're seeing this gap where is the disconnect as we see both record job openings, but also really high unemployment numbers. So there is a large labor pool just kind of broadly. I'm curious if this is a challenge that the industry has been facing long term, even before COVID, uh, or if there's a different reason why we're not seeing manufacturing workers return in mass um uh, you know and if there's a continuing education piece a workforce education piece here to intersect as well you know feel free to offer that perspective but really just why are you uh, seeing this gap in in your perspective
0: if anybody has spent significant time in in a manufacturing facility um 8 to you know uh, 12 hours uh it's it's not it's not the most pleasant environment Um, it's and so, you know, folks now, uh, don't want to, uh, don't want to do those jobs. They want to sit in an office. They want to be comfortable. They want to have flexibility to work from home. Um, so, you know, really it's, uh, you know, folks, uh, these jobs are going unfilled because people don't want them. So we might have a lot of people that, uh, you know, are looking for positions, but they don't see themselves as manufacturers. Uh, you know, they don't see themselves as driving forklifts. But whenever you uh, tell them they can move material or, you know, work uh, from an office location, uh, that that's uh, a lot more appealing. And so not only is it more, appeal- you know, in the demographic too, is, is big. The, the demographic in, in, you know, this industry for, you know, uh, material handling industry is 95% male. Um, so, you know, people are trying to fill these positions, but there's a very specific demographic that they have to uh, that they're they're going after. So, if you can expand your labor pool uh, to women, um, to, you know, folks that are disabled, digital natives, now you are, you know, you're 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 finding peop- you're finding the work that you need. You're finding the workforce um, that that is going to help you achieve your goals, uh, you know, in in the future.
1: You also mentioned worker retention strategies, and obviously there is still an existing uh, warehouse workforce that is also in the middle of this, uh, you know, transitionary flexion point, I'd say, for the industry. So I'm curious if you're also seeing manufacturing workers already in the industry uh, demand anything of their companies or, um, you know what is the relationship like between existing workers and the manufacturing hubs, and how is this shaping retention strategies? Where are some of the gaps there?
0: Yeah, so so there's there's an extremely high uh, amount of turnover. Um, you know, we I've uh, talked with some organizations where it's a hundred percent annually um, for some of these. Uh, you know, more. Uh, Labor positions, um, you know, especially in, in say, like cold storage or something, where it's just not a pleasant environment. And so these folks are demanding, um, you know, more money. They're demanding uh, opportunities for advancement. Um, So you know, whenever the people see themselves in that position, they, they, you know, they don't envision envision something that's comfortable. They also don't see it as a future-proof position. Um, A lot of people see robots are coming. They see automation. They know that their uh, job is 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 you know, it's potentially going to be taken. Um, so they're looking for something that's, you know, uh, you know, more skilled. Uh, this workforce that we're working with now, um, they're the, the new digital natives. Um, you know, it is a, a more skilled workforce um, that's that's coming into, uh, you know, that, that's that's coming into coming into work now. Uh, so when it comes to retention, I, I would say that, uh, you know, it's it's very poor. Um, and so a lot of organizations need to come up with strategic staffing initiatives. And that's actually, um, you know, uh, why a lot of w- organizations come and work with Phantom Auto is uh, based off, you know, is to develop those strategic uh, staffing initiatives. They, you know, we're, we're creating digital drivers. This is a job of the future. This job is not going anywhere. It's uh it's, it's extremely fascinating.
1: You mentioned a little earlier that, Uh, This kind of technology enables the workforce pool to expand and to leverage not only a lot of demographics that normally wouldn't be considered or just today aren't a part of the manufacturing workforce, uh, but also uh, could leverage uh, different skilled workers, digital natives, folks that are more used to doing white collar style office work, bringing them into a manufacturing context. So I'm curious what you see as the balance of uh, technology like this being something that um, companies can use to just completely expand the work pool and try to find folks outside of a traditional manufacturing workforce pool to bring on board versus taking the existing workforce of the manufacturing uh, hub and transitioning them into being able to maneuver and use this technology as well. So, um, you know, expanding the work pool versus upskilling, is there a balance there? Do they both coexist? What are you seeing? It certainly coexist. Um,
0: like I said, there's, there's folks... Um on the floor, right? Uh, and, and they realize they see these robots coming in. They know that they're, they, they need to, um, you know, there, there needs to be other opportunities. So unions actually love uh, our technology. Um, unions are a big fan of Phantom Auto because we're upskilling their workforce. But then, you know, that, that's not enough. There needs to be more people. There needs, you know, people, uh, everyone needs drivers. And that being said, that's where expanding the labor pool
1: comes in. So it's really two birds with one stone, Daniel. And that's exciting to hear. We definitely should do some follow up conversations here with some of those different players in the niche manufacturing use cases to hear how Phantom Auto is working for them. Um, last but not least, what I want to ask you about is, uh, technology adoption challenges. So obviously, teleoperation is uh, you know, pretty straightforward in concept, but an application might be very new for a lot of people uh, and for a lot of organizations just at more of a bureaucratic or structural level. How do we integrate this and how do we know if we're seeing the right returns, right? So what are some of the broader adoption challenges you have seen? Why are they there? And what strategies have you offered to maneuver those?
0: Yeah, so, so it really, you know, this is a very novel uh, idea, Um, you know, and, and, and this is a very novel, um, you know, concept to a lot of people and, you know, think about it. You are driving a forklift, uh, from a computer, from a desk. It is very similar to a video game, but this is not a video game. This is real life. And so, you know, we need to make sure that we have the best practices and, uh, processes in place to mitigate, um, you know any uh, chance of accidents or, or you know, um, uh, potential incidences on site. So that's one of the biggest challenges um, to, to getting folks to adopt the technology is, is you know, we have to really uh, educate them on the safety uh, aspect and the safety component. And so we have partnered with six safety sensors. Uh, the vehicle is not going to hit anything, run into anything. Um, but what's what's really interesting is the feedback that we're getting when the operators start using the vehicle is that they feel like they have greater operational awareness because now they have 360-degree view um, uh, around them. There are no more blind spots. Blind spots are one of the leading causes of forklift accidents in uh, in, in North America. So, you know, this is a, is a complete, um, you know everybody has to be involved, whether that's HR, uh, you know, your risk assessment team, your safety team, uh, your operations team. And so, you know, each of, uh, you know, those folks have their, you know, their concerns or their, um, you know, their uh, questions or things that need clarified. And typically it comes from safety, um, the, the IT integration. Um, so, you know, we, uh we have not had any, uh, you know, problems deploying that to date, and you know, even with some government uh, uh, customers, um, in ROI, yes, operations very concerned in ROI. This is a very ROI-driven uh, industry, ROI-driven business, and you know, it's funny. I, I talk to a lot of people, um, and they say, you know, what is the the value of taking an operator uh, off of a vehicle and just putting him into Uh, putting him into a warehouse or, I mean, an office, like, where are my savings? Um, I, you know, it's not, it's not clicking. So there's, there's direct uh, cost savings that come from that. And then there's efficiency gains and where it's creating value. And so for the direct cost uh, areas that, that, that are, that are impact are imagine, um, you know, having a, a workforce in California. And you set up a digital driving center in Oklahoma. and there's you pay the drivers in california twenty seven dollars, and you pay the drivers in Oklahoma twenty dollars. So seven dollars difference, you might not think that that you know is is that large. But when you extrapolate just for one driver, uh, a labor arbitrage of seven dollars, you're saving over fourteen thousand uh, dollars per year per operator. Um, so that's just that's just right on the labor arbitrage. Now there's safety increases. Um, you're taking the driver out of the equation. You're increasing safety. Um, so if you look at your cost of safety incidents, that's gonna that's gonna decrease. Another interesting uh, thing that people don't realize is uh, workers' compensation. Um, so workers' comp premiums uh, are are you know through the roof for people in warehouses and manufacturing because it's dangerous. Uh, directly here in North America, we reduce um, taking a worker worker from, you know, manufacturing or warehouse environment and putting them into an office. It creates an 85% reduction, um, you know, in, in, in those costs there. Now, this is where efficiency start coming in. So you have overtime costs. Imagine being able to apply labor when and where it's needed. Um, and, and, you know, so to smooth out your overtime and reduce your overtime costs. Uh, so there's, uh, there, there's a whole host of, of efficiency gains also that come with it. Um, but thinking about the, 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 the ROI, really the best practice is to just get, uh, sit down together um, and, and go through your operations um, and then uh, you know, building out that model. And really, that's how we handle the conversation of you know, the one-to-one replacement. I'm just not seeing it and I'm not getting it. Um, so sitting down, walking through that ROI model, um, is is very important uh, for the adoption of this technology, uh, but the the really something that's super impactful whenever we're doing ROI calculations is efficiency gains. And so now we talked we talked first about just direct cost uh, cost reductions with safety incidents, workers' comp, overtime, um, labor arbitrage. Now, the the really really uh, impactful thing is is the efficiency gains. So utilization, um, you know, making sure that you're getting more utilization out of your workforce, out of the vehicles. Um, so with the efficiency gains, that's where we're seeing the biggest savings for our customers, and we're talking a hundred thousand dollars for one operator, one single operator going from, uh, you know, becoming ten percent more efficient throughout the year
1: creates $100,000
0: in value, Um, and that's one shift, one operator.
1: Evan Rago, thank you so much for your insights. It's really been a pleasure chatting today and getting this overview of challenges with the supply chain post-COVID, where the industry is at, and how investments in technology can help address a lot of different pain points across that supply chain. So again, for our audience, we've been chatting with Evan Rago, Strategic Sales Manager at Phantom Auto. Uh, And Evan, if folks want to find out more about Phantom Auto and your technologies and solutions, or maybe just get uh, in contact with the team, how can they do so?
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, you guys can email me uh, directly, evan at phantomauto.com, E-V-A-N at phantomauto.com. And, uh, you know, I'll point you in the right direction. And uh, yeah, so or you can email sales at phantomauto.com. Go on the website, uh, phantomauto.com. Um, so we're we're out there, and uh, there'll be clear directions on on how to reach us on the the webpage. So,
1: a one name email that's called Power. I love it. <laughs> Evan Rago, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure again, and I'm looking forward to having you back on. We'll chat again soon. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for watching this episode of Ground Truth, a Phantom Auto podcast. If you enjoyed what you saw and heard and want some more Phantom Auto content, make sure you're heading to our website, phantomauto.com. Again, phantomauto.com, as well as subscribing to Ground Truth on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Ground Truth.